Some of you were saying, I don't think our pastor put very much thought into his title for this week. It says, life-changing, this and that. Right? It's like, uh, can't he do any better than that? Well, I got to tell you, I think that title is really appropriate for what we're going to look at this morning. You know, we, we, we're going to cycle through a number of short teachings of Jesus that probably at times were taught by themselves. They've certainly been preached as standalones. But Mark collects all of these together for the purpose of continuing to address one of the issues that he's confronting and presenting Jesus as the Son of God to the rest of the world. You know, um, I think sometimes we think, we look at it and say, well, you know, like the parable of the sower that we looked at last week, that Jesus really only offered that one time, right? He, he, he taught that on, you know, June 2nd, you know, you know 30, 30 AD, and he never taught it again. My personal opinion is Jesus probably repeated a lot of his teachings, maybe even dozens of times. You know, this is back before they had audio and video. They didn't have print, right, in terms of just being able to write up the text and sell a book or whatever. And so it wasn't the kind of thing. So when everywhere Jesus went, in many ways, he had this heart to keep repeating over and over again what it is that he was teaching to the world. So my personal thing is I, I think it's almost virtually certain that Jesus taught the parable of the sower multiple times. And so Mark here is, is looking at, all right, here's this body of teaching when Jesus is up in the northern part in Galilee. And then there's these teachings as he kind of makes his way down to Jerusalem. And then there's all the stuff that happens in Jerusalem just before he's crucified and then his resurrection. And he's pulling all those teachers to get, teachings together to, make, to, to lay out a narrative for us, to make a point for us. It doesn't, just because they didn't necessarily happen chronologically right after one after another, like the next paragraph from me is going to follow this paragraph, doesn't mean that they're not true because Jesus would have taught these things many times. Mark is just trying to bring them together so you and I get a point. And what we're going to look at today is continuing to address one of the major obstacles that people had to believing in Jesus Christ as as the Son of God. And that's this. If Jesus showed up, and he really was the son of God, how come nobody noticed? Right? How come nobody noticed? Well, you know, and, and that's part of it. But, you know, it, if some, you know right now, if, if, if some celebrity walked in that we all knew, oh, you know, maybe I can get their eye. You know, we'd be all in. Jesus shows up in the world. He is the son of God. Right? Mark starts his gospel. He peels it back for us to see the, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, who is the Son of God. Well, as the gospel goes out after Jesus' death and resurrection, his disciples, well, you know, how can he be God? Come on, he showed up, he lived for 30 years, and nobody noticed. Right? How could he be really God? And so Jesus, in his teaching, actually answers those questions. We looked at the big one last week, and it does. It has to do with our response to the gospel, the parable of the sower. Some of the seed falls on the hard soil, gone like that. Some of it's on the shallow soil, pops up, but, you know, it doesn't, there's no investment in it. It's only about what it can do, and it fades and burns. 
The thorny soil, it, you know, it's, yeah, it's important to me, but so are a bunch of other things, and so it's just a part of my life. It's really not my life. And then there's the good soil. But Mark continues that journey in verses 21 down through the end of the chapter. So I'd love for you to grab a Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 4. If you're using one of our Bibles that's underneath your chair, you're going to find our text today on page 848. Mark is the second gospel in our New Testament. It is the first gospel that was written, as far as we can tell. It is one of the shortest gospels that we have. It's the shortest gospel that we have. And Mark gets right to the point. Because his objective isn't to tell us about the birth and all those kinds of things. or put in some, He says, just look at Jesus. Look what he did. Look what he taught. And you can figure out that he's the son of God. And you can figure out what it takes to follow after him. And he's pursuing those points. And so here in chapter 4, he's collected these teachings that took place over and over again in the northern regions of Galilee where Jesus has been teaching at this point in time. He's pulling them all together and saying, here's here's how it is that the Son of God could be in the world and virtually nobody noticed. I mean, you can't even say it's the 1%, right? You know, by the time he gets to Jerusalem, there's maybe 100 followers, 120 we see in the upper room after. And, and, and out of how many millions on the planet at the time, and only those 120 got it? Yeah, there's got to be something wrong with that, right? Well, Jesus has got some explanations for that. So as we follow along here in Mark chapter 4, I'm going to read through our entire text, and then I'll come back and I'm going to deal with each teaching individually. And just make some points for us. And then I'll I'll try to do a few takeaways at the end. Because again, for for those of you who are new to Hope Chapel, our primary objective as we get into the word on Sunday morning is for us simply to understand what does it say? What does it mean? Because we think if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. So I'm not trying to package it up in some eloquent speech. I'm just really trying to help you understand what's in it. And then if you'll pay attention to it, As you're going to see this morning, it'll produce great fruit in your life. So he's just wrapped up his explanation to the 12, the meaning of the parable of the sower, and Mark has him continue on. said, here's another teaching that's related to this whole issue of how is it that Jesus could come into the world and virtually nobody notices, even though he's God among us. So he also said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is supposed to be no, right? Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it put on the lampstand? For nothing is concealed except to be revealed and nothing hidden except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, they should listen. Then he said to them, pay attention. Pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured and added to you. For to the one who has, it will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. The kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed 
and the seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how. The soil produces the crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the ripe grain on the head. But as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. I will make this personal comment here. If farming was this easy, I'd still have a garden. But, but Jesus makes it sound pretty easy here, right? Just throw some soil in the thing, go hit the beach, come back at the end of the year, <laughs> lots of great stuff, right? It doesn't quite work that way, but he's making a point here. We'll get back to it. Verse 30, and so he says to them, how can we illustrate the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? He said, it's like a mustard seed that when sown in the soil is smaller than all the seeds on the ground. I have some mustard seeds in my office that I got when I went to Israel. I mean, they literally are, they look like almost like a grain of pepper, right? They're just really small, right? He says, but when you put these in the seed, put these seeds in the ground, they're, they're virtually smaller than any other seed that you might plant. But when it grows, right? When sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the vegetables. In fact, mustard tree, mustard tree bushes, that's really what they are, can grow as tall as 10 to 12 feet, right? So you get this tiny little seed and it grows into these 10 to 12 foot bush, right? It would even dwarf your best corn in your field, right? It says it grows, it grows taller than all the vegetables and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. He would speak the word to them with many parables like these, as they were able to understand. If he did not speak to them without a parable, which is part of the explanation of why nobody really knew who he was. Privately, however, he would explain everything to his own disciples. Now, I want to continue on with verse 35, where Mark, you know, sometimes the chapter breaks that were put in, you know, literally centuries after the gospels were written, aren't always in the right spot. And this miracle story probably belongs with the three that follows it, but I believe it makes a great application for us. So he says, and on that day, when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So Jesus is the one who initiates the journey. So they left the crowd and they took him along since he was already in the boat. Otherwise, he was teaching on the seashore, right? And other boats were with him. I really never noticed that before. And other boats were with him. So it's a small fleet going across the Sea of Galilee, the eight miles east to west. A fierce windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so the boat was already being swamped. But he, and that's a reference to Jesus, he's in the back of the boat sleeping on the cushion. So so they woke him up, right? And, And they said to him, teacher, don't you care? I mean, this trip was your idea. Don't you care that we're going to die? He got up, rebuked the wind, saying to it, silence, be still. And the wind ceased. (laughs) It was a great calm. Then he said to them, why are you fearful? Do you still have no faith? And they, they were terrified. And asked one another, who is this? Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. So let's back up and kind of process through one by one these life-changing this and that teachings, right? So 
Again, each one of these has tremendous merit and insight for ourselves. I want to explain what they mean, but I want to put them in context as to why Mark is packaging them up all here to explain how it is that God could be right in front of us and we never see him. Let's follow along with a few things here. So the first one is verses 21 and 23. And I call this the principle of full disclosure, right? So part of the argument is, is that if, you know, if Jesus came into the world and et cetera, and, he, and he's doing all his teaching and, and nobody get, you know, is he, is he kind of trying to just hide it, contain it, control it, dim it, whatever? And, and, and Mark's whole teaching says, no, the intent, the intent of the teaching of Jesus Christ the intent of the coming of Jesus Christ is to reveal it to all, right? You know, so he starts out, and says, you know, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? You know, and, and for the most part, we would answer that question, no. Surely during World War II, right, when they were having blackout days because of the air raids and stuff, you know, they would have blackout curtains or they'd get their light up underneath. Or when you were a little kid and your parents told you to turn the light out and go to sleep and you were trying to read by a flashlight, you try to hide the light. But by and large, we don't light the candle and then stick it up underneath Rick's seat so nobody can see it, right? We put it out so it gives light, right? You know, you don't put your lights on the floor. We put our lights in the ceiling, right? So we can roast from the top down instead of from the bottom up, right? I mean, we, we do because we want them to give light. And it says, Jesus didn't come into the world. Everything, here's the problem. Everything that's hidden is going to be revealed. Everything that's concealed is going to come to light, Right? And, and this application is made then to several different things. One is to the teachings of Jesus Christ. They may be veiled to many now. He's speaking in parables. A lot of people don't get it. But when the Holy Spirit comes, the meaning, the truth of the teachings is going to come to life. And that, so the, the truth is unveiled, the light is shine. The second is the identity of Christ. So it's not only the meaning of his teaching, but it's also who he is as the Son of God. That is when, when Jesus resurrects from the grave, or perhaps even to the end of our chapter, when Jesus gets up in the middle of the boat and says, shh, shh, and the wind just stops, it's revealed that he is the Son of God. So that's going to come, and then it's going to be the ultimate revelation when he comes in the second coming. When the whole element of faith or, or being, you know, that kind of is removed and it all just becomes sight. You know, it's going to be no doubt at that point, and you're either going to be on the right or the wrong side of the fence in that moment. But when that comes, it's going to be fully revealed. So it may look like it's veiled, but don't, don't be misled. The intent is for it to be revealed. God's just doing it in his own timing. So Mark goes back and says, you, yeah, you're looking at Jesus and you're saying, well, you know, he didn't get much of a following. He didn't set up a kingdom. He didn't conquer anybody else. He didn't, you know, that he didn't build anything great. How can he be the son of God? So, you know, just, just give it some time. It's all going to come to full disclosure. Same truth kind of rings out in the next one where he says in verse 24, you know, and, and notice how he connects here, the end of verse 23 
and then connects it with verse 24, which is one of the reasons why I think Jesus was, you know, he taught one, and then Marcus picked up a second one and put it right with it. He, he ends it, you know, if anyone has ears, you know, if you get it, if you have any kind of an inkling of what I'm talking about, you should really listen. And then he starts out the next one, and pay attention. <laughs> pay attention. You know, this is one of those times, whack the person next to you, say, you got to listen to this, right? Because Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear. And here's why. How well you listen is going to depend, is going to determine the impact that the truth has on you. Pay attention, right? Pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, and this is the, you know, the, the idea here is the standard they use, like in the market or whatever, to determine what a pound of coffee was or what a gallon of, of water was or whatever. Those standards said, whatever standard you use for your vigilance, for listening what I have to say to you, that's going to determine what impact it's going to have. And I'm going to tell you, if you pay attention and you're vigilant about it, you're gonna, what you have, man, you're just going to keep getting more and more. But if you, if you take one of these and says, you know what, I, I can deal with this later. I'll get back to it. Next thing you know, it's going to be way over here. And then the next thing you know, it's going to be way over here. And then you're going to be in a place where you can't find it. Because what you have been given has been taken from you. And, and one of the dangerous things, I think, is that sometimes as followers of Christ, we have this idea that, you know what, God will be there when I'm ready to get around to it. And I think you look at Jesus, and he uses the law of vigilance. And sometimes we get to a place where we can so neglect it that we can't find a way to get back. And, and listen, come on, this, this, this is not rocket science. Jesus is just stating the obvious and applying it to our faith journey. You know, let me give you an example. When I was in seminary, I spent three years studying Hebrew and Greek. Two years of Greek because they assumed you had some before you got then. I didn't have any. So I took what we call baby Greek. It killed me. Then I had to take real Greek and then did that, right? And, and, and then I took a couple of classes where we actually just worked through biblical books in the original language of the Greek. And I, and I was okay at it. I couldn't speak it, right, or any of that kind of stuff. But, so it was difficult to read, but I, I could translate it. Then I took Hebrew, the year of Hebrew, which was even worse, right? It was just brutal. They don't even write in the right direction, you know? It's going all different ways, and, you know, filling languages. That, you know, I got to tell you, I got A's in all those classes. I have neglected Greek and Hebrew for over 20 years, right? And, and I can get a few things now. And I'm so grateful that there's such great tools online that can do all the work in the original languages and just spew it out to me so I can use it to, as part of the way that I speak to you. But I neglected it. I lost it. Anybody have a foreign language they learned in high school or college and now it's history, right? It's just a principle at work, right? It just says, you know what? Pay attention. One of the reasons why more didn't get it was because they heard what they, what, you know, they heard Jesus teach. They saw what he did. And then they just said, I got, I got other stuff to do. I'll get back to it later. And it never came back. That's part of the explanation. So Jesus uses this principle, this law of vigilance, if you will, to impact how things happen in our lives. You know, and so the more we grab at it and we dig in it, it just prioritize and, and, and pursue faith in our lives. It just keeps mushrooming, right? And that mustard seed turns into a huge bush in our lives. We've got to keep moving. 
you know, I, I got to use this illustration for our younger crowd. This is the same with video games, right? You know, I, I can remember when my kids got like their first Nintendo or PlayStation or whatever, and you know, they talked me into playing football with them, you know, on the screen. I could never get those guys to do anything. Right, you know, you're, you're trying to throw a pass and the guy runs out of bounds. Like, what, what button am I hitting? You know, and that kind of, you, you never get anything to work. And you know, but some of the, sometimes they get really good at it, right? You know, I mean, didn't it ruin a couple of Red Sox pitchers this past season? Right, they got like video game elbow or something or other. You know, because you know, there's so much stuff kind of idea. And and you know, but when we get away from it, we kind of lose that, right? If we don't pay attention to it, nurture it, work it, we lose it. But Jesus says, when you pay attention to it, when you're attentive to what you hear, man, you get more, you get more, you get more. It's great news. The third thing, my kind of farmer, verse 26. <laughs> he says, the kingdom of God's like this. It's like a farmer, he gets up in the morning and he plants his seed. And he's hoping two and a half months out, there's going to be a great crop. He has no idea how that seed turns into a plant. He has no idea how that little, that little um, wheat seed turns into a head of grain. He just knows if he puts it in the ground, gets the right amount of water, right amount of sun, it's going to grow up, and a blade's going to come first, and then it's going to turn a thing, and then it's going to be a head, and eventually it's going to ripen, it's going to be good to eat, and that's all he knows. And when that moment comes, he's going to come and, right? And so he doesn't understand how the whole process works, you know, he doesn't have a degree in biology or whatever you need to be able to figure out how, you know, stuff grows out of the ground, right? He, d- he doesn't know any of that, but that doesn't mean it doesn't work, right? Because when the time comes, he can come with a sickle and yell to, and, and, um, and get him to, to come. And, it, it, and, and he, get, he gets the benefit of it. What what. Jesus is teaching here, the way Mark's using it, is that the world looks at the kingdom of God and says, I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, building a kingdom is about power and authority and control and strength and might. And he's come to serve, to love, to die. That stuff doesn't work, right? And And what Jesus is trying to say to me and you is that, you know what? Sometimes we look at it, and and, and in our mind, it just doesn't look like it can work. But that doesn't mean the kingdom of God is not powerful. Because we really can be saved by somebody else's death, Jesus Christ. It's not about being good enough and earning it. It's about receiving it by faith. You know, God's power really can be perfected in our weakness, right? We really can become great by serving everybody, right? I mean, and, and we look at this. You can look at it. It doesn't make any sense to you. That's why the world missed it. But that doesn't mean that it's not a divine kingdom. Farmer plants a seed. He has no idea that it, how it grows. But you know what? When the time comes, there's a harvest, You know, the kingdom gets planted. It's growing. We may not understand. We may even reject the principles by which all that happens. But I got to tell you, it's producing a harvest. And that's how the world can miss when God shows up in their midst. And only a fraction 
of a fraction, of a fraction of the 1% actually recognize that he is the son of God. Then he uses the parable of the mustard seed. You know, he said, you know, they're looking at it. When, when Mark's writing, it's like 30 years after the death of Christ. So the church has grown, right? First, it was just a few hundred people in Jerusalem. And then, they, you know, they planted a church up in Antioch, and a couple of other things kind of took root. And then they're making their way towards Rome. And so there's some stuff coming up. But probably, right, there are more believers in the state of Massachusetts. Maybe there are more believers in Worcester County than there were in the entire world by the time Mark wrote right? 30 years later. And, and, and Jesus said, you know, you, you take this mustard seed and you stick it in the ground. It's so, so you just got really low expectations, right? It, there, there's not much that's going to come from this, right? It's just, said, but man, it grows to be the biggest, you know, and, and, and the kingdom of God is like this. It, it might be starting small. It might just be a few thousand Maybe 10 to 20,000, 30,000 in the world at that point in time when Mark's writing, but man, it's growing. It's growing, and it's going to come to the place where all of the world can come and sit in its shade and be blessed. So don't despise small beginnings. Jesus is saying, you know, just because it's small doesn't mean it's not God. And some of this is, we need to apply this personally as well. You know, I think one of the things that, that often discourages people who get started, and the reason why they land up being kind of like the, the, the seed that's planted in the shallow soil where it sprouts up, et cetera, and then it goes, is that somehow or another, they think God, when we, turn, we believe in Jesus, it's like just flips a switch and everything in our lives changes and we never have any more problems. And sometimes the kingdom of God in us, that seed of faith, right? It just grows small. It just starts small and et cetera and et cetera. But man, if we'll nurture it and work with it, pay attention to it, focus on it, prioritize it, next thing you know, that kingdom will erupt over a lifetime into something that's incredible within us. So how about this miracle at the end? You know, like I said, you could really easily take this miracle and just connect it with the three that follows, right? If you were trying to build a path. But I, I think it serves a purpose in this text for a couple of, I, I think there's a reason why it's, it's, it's right to connect it with the experience before. So the day of teaching is over as Mark presents it. And there, Jesus said, you know what, let's go to the other side. You know, it's a long walk. Maybe we'll shed some of these people. Some new people will be able to get in there. Let's go to the other side of the lake. So they get in the middle of the, the boat, and they set off. Jesus is tired from preaching. I got to tell you, I preach two sermons on Sunday mornings, and I'm as tired as if I spent 12 to 14 hours working in my yard. And I lie down on the couch and snore really loudly and drive the entire family downstairs. because you know, you're just tired. Jesus teaches all day. He's exhausted. They get in the boat. He's asleep in the back. And he's at peace. Because he knows that God's in the boat. <laughs> so he can, he can ride out the storm. They start out, and everything's great at the beginning. Some other guys following along. They're leading the way. They can see, you know, and, and then a storm swoops down in. And if, you know, you know, one of the things I looked for when I was there, the Sea of Galilee kind of sits down in a bowl. 
So when, when, when the storms whip in, it, sometimes it can be hard to see way out on the horizon. And so it, f- it feels like they just kind of creep up on you, and then they just drop down in. And it just, they pick up speed. So they're in the boat. You, got, I, you know, sometimes we're looking at this thinking, all right, I'm thinking like a, you know, a 40-foot cabin cruiser. No, we're not thinking. We're talking about like a 16-foot rowboat with two, foot high, two feet, maybe two feet high sides. And you got 13 to 14 guys in it, and the storm comes up. And they're bailing as fast as they can. And, and, and finally, this, what is the matter with you? Do you not care, right, that we're going to drown? And so they wake up Jesus. And, and, and here's the point Mark says. says, just look at Jesus. He stands up and he says, be still. And the winds command him. There, there seems to be something about water and validating the presence of God in the Bible. You know, what, what did Moses do, right? Not only do you have the, the, the whole thing we did with the Nile, right? But when they're standing before the Red Sea, God has them hold up his staff, Right? And the wind blows and the waters part. This incredible symbol that God is with them providing the deliverance. Jesus doesn't need a staff because he's God, right? He doesn't need a staff that symbolizes the presence of God, the power of God, because he is God. So he can just simply say, hey, knock it off. And the waves go still, right? And then he looks at these guys, right? He looks at these guys and why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Where's your faith? Don't you have any faith? And and what he highlights for us is that even though we can be looking, right, looking right at undeniable evidence that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, it can be really hard to translate that reality into the way we live our lives and process our experiences, right? Right? He said, you know, they, they, they've seen him, you know, they've seen him do miracles, etc. They, they get it all, right? You know, and, 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 yeah, and then they've watched him do this in the boat. A couple of chapters are going to see him walking on the water, right? And, 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 this, and, and yet they somehow still can't translate it to, how does that make a difference right now in my journey? And that brings all of this stuff that we've looked at into play for us. So it has to ask the question, has the light really been revealed in our own lives? Or is it covered up in a corner somewhere, right? How attentive are we in nurturing of the truth that God's trying to give us? You see, how has, how has the mustard seed expanded itself in our own lives? Right? And, and, and you just, these truths just continue. Do we fail to trust in it because we can't explain it and we can't see it? And can't control it. And, and, and so all these truths kind of like, even though there's this explanation as to how it is that the world can miss who Jesus is, it also points to, it's like when you and I are having these moments in the boat where we're saying, God, don't you care? All these truths funnel right into that moment that asks us the question, where is our faith? And so the question I want to ask you this morning, I want to ask myself, I think God asks us through his word is, Where's our faith? Where's your faith this morning? And, and, and let me sharpen that up just a little bit. I, I, is your faith in the word? 
Is your faith in the church? Is your faith in me as the preacher? Or is your faith in Christ? Because the appeal is that faith in Christ. And all these other things are just part of the process of nurturing your faith in Christ. Where's your faith today? Let's pray together. God, I pray today, and boy, the room is, is healthily full this morning, which is just, just a great thing, God, because every single one of the people sitting here is precious to you in the matter. But Father, in some of us today, the light needs to be revealed. It's been pushed off to a side, covered up, and it needs to be uncovered and revealed. And so Father, today I pray that some would take the step out of the darkness into the light. They'd recognize that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God. They came into this world for us. And even though they have no idea how it actually works, by placing their faith in him and asking for forgiveness, they receive new life in Jesus Christ. For the rest of us, Father, I pray we'd simply just be honest in answering the question, where is our faith? And that we would be vigilant in seeking the answer. So to what we already have, tons more can be added. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.